it's funny because when they announced Brenda, it's not like I felt this huge wave of disappointment or devastation. I was just sort of like almost numb. It was just like, it's not me. Like, how, how is that possible? Like, you know, for every single day for a year, I've seen this play out in my head a thousand times. And like, it's always been me, you know? So it's just like, I so many athletes who were in my position who were hoping, you know, to be that first, second, or third place, and they've seen it play out a million times. So it's just, you know, you know other people understand what's happening, but you just don't think you're going to end up on the short side of such a close race. Hooray Run Podcast, Episode 10. Amanda Eccleston joins me, James Rogers, for 80-plus minutes of conversation. You're going to want to hear this professional runner's story. Going from a 513, 1600-meter runner in high school to a 425-miler sponsored by Brooks. Amanda narrowly missed a Rio Olympic spot in the 1500 meters in 2016. Narrowly may be an understatement, honestly. She missed the Olympics by 0.03 seconds. Not 0.3, 0.03 seconds. The clip you heard at the start is an excerpt from our discussion on that race. Brenda Martinez ran 4 minutes 6.16 seconds to capture the third and final spot to Rio to represent Team USA. Amanda was fourth in 4 minutes 6.19 seconds. 406.16 to 406.19. Whew. We cover that race in detail and talk about her bounce back races post 2016 Olympic trials. We discuss much more, including her 2017 highlights, grassroots miles popping up in the US, her website, training in Ann Arbor, Michigan with True Blue Elite under coach Mike McGuire, her trust in God. Amanda also reflects on David Torrance's life and his impact on running. We round up the conversation with some fun quick hitters, like why is her favorite store Staples, and how she manages her sweet tooth. Let's get to it. But first, as you know, my friend Mikey, aka Meeks Palmer on SoundCloud. Mikey, you gotta drop that beat for us. Joining me on the line now, professional runner for Brooks, 425 miler, 403, 1500 meter runner. She's a member of the True Blue Elite Training Group out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. She's 27 years old, also a volunteer assistant coach for women's cross country at University of Michigan. It's Amanda Eccleston. Amanda, thank you for joining Hooray Run Podcast. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can you give me a quick rundown? I know it's early, but tell me what I got to know about U of M's women's cross country team this year. Um, yeah, I mean, we are, we're looking forward to a really good season. Last year was honestly a, a phenomenal season. It wasn't, we didn't expect to finish so high. The girls walked away one point away from a national championship mm-hmm. um, and finished second there, which, which was incredible. Big 10 champs for the first time in four years. 
Um, so this year we, you know, we're down on our top runner, Erin. Uh, she's done with eligibility, but you know, we've got, we've got a lot of girls stepping up. We always have our, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 girls are always right there pushing in. Um, so we've had two meets so far and both are looking very promising. Um, Gina Serino's kind of been our standout out front, but she's pretty closely followed by a lot of the other girls. So I'm excited. I think that there's a really good shot for another podium finish, um, which is, which is really, it's kind of like our main goal this year. Sure. That sounds exciting. And how often are you going to every practice with your schedule? Are you traveling with the team? Um, How often are you involved with them? So I go to maybe, I'm I'm at practice three days a week. Maybe I usually try and go for their workouts. Um, and a lot of times I'll time one of my, training session, so I'm at there at the start of their practice. Um, I traveled to their last meet in Indiana at Terre Haute, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of times, too, I work with our girls who are injured or coming back from injury, so I do a lot of, like, one-on-one meetings with those girls and kind of helping plan out their their cross-training workouts, um, their return to running, so it's a little bit more, um, a little bit more, like, outside of practice time that I do. So I kind of do what I can. It's a little bit more flexible in the fall because I'm not traveling so much myself. Um, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it's great because I feel like I've learned so much through injury and through my own trial and error over the years that I really like being able to share that with the team. Sure, most definitely. And they got to be grateful to have you just knowing your story and the, the gains you've made on the professional scene and what you've done so far, still at just 27 years old and looking ahead. Uh, tell me a little bit about this True Blue Elite group out of Ann Arbor, right there by U of M. I understand it's four women, and then you're you're coached by Mike McGuire still, correct? Yeah, that's right. Um, how did so that How did that form? And tell us who the members are of that group. Yeah, um, it, it's kind of funny. It, um, the four members: it's me, Nicole Sofuentes, who runs for Canada, um, Shannon Osika, and Becca Addison. And Nicole has really been, like, the member of this, you know, this group forever. She's been with Mike since she graduated in 2008. Um, And the rest of us, like, slowly kind of stuck around when we were done as well. And so we've been training together a lot longer and realized, like, at this point, we needed to put a name on our group, um, which pretty much consisted of getting an Instagram account. (laughs) That's that's the main thing that our group has. But it's just kind of fun to have a name because we do work out together and we do train together and cheer for each other. So it's sort of nice that people now can recognize that, that we have this group here in Michigan. Um, and the True Blue just kind of comes from the fact that we're all U of M grads. Uh-huh. Uh, and actually, I should probably give a shout out. My mom came up with the name, and she's very proud of that. So I'm about to call Amanda's mom Mrs. Eccleston, but Amanda married Jordan Eccleston, and Amanda was formerly Amanda Putt. So Amanda's mom is... Mrs. Putt, not Mrs. Eccleston. Apologies to Kathy Putt. So I say Mrs. Eccleston. It should be Mrs. Putt. Amanda quickly corrects me, and we go from there. Mrs. Eccleston. Uh, Mrs. Putt, actually. Oh, yeah. Putt, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, so Formerly Putt. <laughs> yeah, she'll be proud of that. But, you know, it's just kind of a fun way to, to recognize the fact that we're all working hard together. Awesome. And they, are they all with Saucony? Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. The three of them are with Saucony. Great. Uh, a lot of people associate you with U of M. I feel like some people think you, you did undergrad at U of M, but it's you just ran a year there. Your, your undergrad was at Hillsdale in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, what was the recruiting scene like for you? 
at toward the end of high school looking at colleges, what attracted you to Hillsdale? I know it had to be part ap- academics too because of your biology, biochemistry major there. Uh, just tell us how you landed at Hillsdale. Yeah. Um, so when I was looking in, co- or in high school trying to figure out where I wanted for college, definitely academics were a huge part of that. Um, and a lot of that is I was a good runner, but I wasn't a great runner. Um, and I could never have seen the path that I would have taken at that point. Uh, you know, my best finish was seventh place in D2 in the state meet. So most of the schools I was looking at were D2, D3, NAIA, a couple D1s, but um, not too many. So so a lot of it, I was really drawn to the academics at Hillsdale. Um, I also absolutely loved the coach who recruited me. It was Sarah Hinkley at the time. Um, and she just, she was actually only maybe 24, 25, which is so funny to me now that I'm even older than that, working with college girls. But she just had, you know, that she just believed in me. She she just really encouraged me, and she thought this, you know, could be something big. She was so fun, but at the same time, like, such a role model for me. Um, and that, that between her and the head coach of Bill Lumberg, um, they really sold me on it. I liked the small school atmosphere as well. Um, I really didn't want to go to a huge school. I didn't think I'd want as small as Hillsdale. It ended up being great. I thought it's only 1,400 kids, so I wasn't quite sure. Um, mm-hmm. but between, like, the coaches um, – and it's, it's a really good school. I didn't realize how um, how great even the sciences are at that school with it being such a liberal arts space. But kind of all of that together, um, it just ended up, you know, being a perfect fit. I wouldn't say I loved that I was going to it off the bat. But after a week of being there, I was like, this is by far the best choice I could have made. Got it. What made you have those kind of reservations going in? Um, like I said, I thought maybe it was a little on the small side. Yeah. It was close, closer to home than I wanted. Um, you know, I really thought I wanted to go out of state and that was only about, uh, an hour away from my home in Tecumseh. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I hadn't, I honestly hadn't heard that much about the school and sometimes, you know, name recognition seems like a good thing. Um, so it just, I was still, you know, a little bit up in the air, but I, honestly, instantly it was like, this is exactly where I'm meant to be. I interviewed, I interviewed back, in back in 2014, I went to U of M. And I talked to some of the women's cross country members and I, I saw you there too. And you told me about coach wild Bill Lundberg yeah. <laughs> and you, you had this crazy tradition story that I, I want to read part of your quote that you gave me back okay. in 2014. And then I want you to just, just tell me more about the coach and, and this tradition. He, you said that, uh, you do uh, a run for a couple miles in the woods. You pick up all the glass bottles you could find and then <laughs> Coach Wild Bill, he'd have this pedestal that you're supposed to put the bottles on. You'd grab a bunch of rocks, take turns throwing the rocks. Whoever breaks the bottle got a free pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. And that's what you would do every year as your fun run the week before regionals. Yep. <laughs> that's just been a long-standing tradition at Hillsdale? Yeah. You know, I honestly am not sure they still do it because okay. they have had enough coaching changes but we did that all four years I was there, um, and they they did that, you know, many, many more years before. It was just, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous and really entertaining, especially the throwing the rocks because this is a bunch of runners. Sure. Nobody can hit the bottles. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's just one of those things. He would just be sitting there, you know, getting more and more amped up and animated and excited about it. His Coach Lundberg just had such an incredible love for the team and for the sport, and that, you know, he just loved to have crazy events like that for us. The cider mill run. Yes. And then what 
took you to Michigan? Was it communication between coaches, uh, something about the academics when you were looking into public health? What brought you then to U of M for that year of eligibility in your schooling post Hillsdale? Yeah, again, it was a little bit of a combination. Um, So I knew I was going to graduate from Hillsdale after four years, and they didn't have a grad school. So it was not that um, I was transferring, which sometimes comes across. Um, So I was definitely looking into going into public health, and I knew that um, University of Michigan had, at the time, I think the fourth-ranked program in the country. Um, Also, my junior year, my coach had been Erin Webster, and she ran at Michigan under Mike McGuire. So she had sort of opened that door and spoken to Mike about me and, you know, any potential she saw. So that kind of made, helped with that connection. Um, It ended up being almost an easy choice. I I got a scholarship for grad school that sort of kind of made my decision for me almost. It was really too hard to turn down. Absolutely. Um, And, you know, I knew it was a great school. I knew it was a great team. It's funny that going to Michigan, I thought I was choosing academics over running. Not that there has to be a choice, but mm-hmm. I thought it was of the programs I was looking at the most rigorous. Um, and so I definitely was like, okay, that's okay. You know, your, your running can only go so far. It's, you'll have one more year and, you know, really focus on school. Um, and it just cracks me up now because it turned out to be by far the best situation for my running as well. Um, I just, I really had no intentions of going beyond my fifth year until I got to Michigan. And even then, it was sort of always one year at a time, like, hey, I still love this. I'm still getting better. Um, I guess I'll keep going, sort of thing. Sure. I would say it exceeded expectations. You were a a two-time Big Ten champ, indoor mile, outdoor 15. And then this DMR team, I want to know a little bit more of this this squad. And then just the tradition of the DMR in Michigan is, is absolutely crazy. What Mike McGuire's done with the DMR at U of M, but that that national champion team, um, who was on it, you anchored it with a mile. Yeah. And from what I understand, that was it was a split, but it was your PR at the time in the mile, correct? Yeah, it was uh, five seconds faster than my PR. Jeez. So Yeah. Um. It you know it's funny we had the whole year like you know I wanted to be on the DMR, but so does you know about seven or eight girls because Michigan does have such a strong history. I'm. I wish I knew how many years in a row we've gone to the national meet. I should remember. It might be like 12 or 13 in a row. Um, I think it's the longest streak right now. And then they had one Big Tens 12 years in a row, I believe. Um, so it's very, you know, it's it's honestly like the pride and joy of our indoor season. Um, so we weren't even sure what our team was going to be until the week before. We used, I think I was the last year where we had last chance meets literally one week before the national meet. Um, and we hadn't qualified at that point. So we went to Notre Dame, and uh, we put Becca Addison on the 1,200. Um, Maya Long was a freshman. She ran our 400. Um, Jill Smith ran the 800, and then I anchored with the 1,600. And that was the first time we ever ran that those four in that order. Um, we ended up breaking the school record and running the number one time in the country. And it was kind of like, wow, okay. Um, you know, this is huge. Uh so we obviously decided, you know, we have a shot to win this. And so we, we all scratched out our individual events so we could just focus on the DMR. Um, and, you know, it was funny. I, I just felt like because we came in ranked number one, I was like, guys, like, we, you know, we have to go out and do this. We need to actually win. Um, and just really, you know, we, it was just incredible. We didn't, we didn't expect it at all a week before. I think we were just like, oh, we just got to get there you know, then see if we can get All-American, all and it just sort of was a whirlwind how fast it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's funny, because 
how I had to run it. I don't, I'm not normally a front runner. It's not really my style, and I'm right. not comfortable out there. The one race I think I, Mike had me take out the whole year, I ended up blowing up pretty bad because I was tired from mm. leading. Um, <laughs> so it definitely wasn't the ideal position to be in, but it's just one of those days when, you know, I just had a lot of confidence in myself. I just went out and, you know, ran as hard as I could, and everything came together well. Um, and, yeah, it was, it was incredible. I didn't expect to run that fast. <laughs> I remember talking to Becca about it back in 2014, and she was just – she was telling me about the DMR history at U of M and just kind of looking me in the eye like, do you, do you understand this dominance <laughs> that we have? And I was just like, I, gotta, I need to learn more about this and how much it meant to you guys to mm-hmm. put away your individual events and go after the DMR. And then I, I read up on McGuire's history with it. And it's honestly, it's got to be one of the most underrated runs of dominance in sports. It's crazy. <laughs> just someone look up uh, McGuire's bio on U of M's website and check out just what he's done with the DMR. It's it's quite the accomplishment. It's an amazing run of dominance. Um, at what point, was it at Hillsdale? Was it at U of M? Was it this DMR championship, this 432 split? When did you think, Amanda, I can maybe take this to the next level post-college? I'm trying to think if there was ever a moment. Yeah. I've said this before, and I don't, I don't know if there actually was you know, one moment where I realized it, I think it was just slowly over time, probably a lot more my fifth year. Um, and that at that point I was like, well, I have one more year of school. I'm going to be still here at Michigan. I may as well, you know, keep training. Um, it's, I just, I don't know. I think I thought in the back of my mind, okay, I kind of want to try and make the trials in 2016. Um, because in 2012, I did end up running the B standard, um, but didn't make it. I think I was like 60th or something, and they only take 30. So I thought, you know, in the back of my mind, like, that would be pretty cool, you know, to finish, like, you know, the culmination of my career is making the trials. Like, that would be pretty cool. So that was sort of in the back of my mind, but um, I didn't really – I don't know if there was ever a moment. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it was just hard to fathom, you know, someone wanting to pay me to run at that point, how I would work everything out. I still kind of – I guess I never made plans, though, to get another career. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, do, I do work on the side, but it's like I never really applied to those jobs my second year of grad school. I never was looking like, okay, is there somewhere we want to move for either more schooling or certain jobs? You know, I was sort of never enough, like, didn't really put any goals on that point, you know. And so I think I just sort of spent most of my time um, thinking about running and what I wanted to do in it. I, I still... Um, I guess I was just trying to make it work, even if I didn't have a pay, a, being, like a way of being sponsored through it at first. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think even more so it was the year after I finished uh, my eligibility when I saw some big drops in time that I was like, hey, I'm actually starting to run almost world-class times. Like, you know, now I really think, like, maybe I can make this happen. You talk about those incremental improvements and just how many, I mean, it can be one race, it can be one workout that you just want to keep grinding. You want to keep getting after it on your, on your website. You talk a lot about the mental side of running and just this improvement talking about how you yourself did not break five minutes in the mile until you were 20. And mm-hmm. now we're here seven years later and you're 425. You narrowly miss an Olympic spot last year. And I want to, we're going to get into that a little more, but I want to <laughs> talk about that, 
that uh, search for a sponsor and too, and how that can be troubling when you're you're just trying to figure it out post college and you're trying to yeah find someone to pay you. Um, what year did you start with Brooks? What attracted you to Brooks? And tell us a little bit about how that that connection came together. Yeah. Um, so I guess I honestly had been talking to Brooks for a long time. I first sent them, and I actually don't know if they know this, I sent them a resume, <laughs> like a running resume back in um, early 2014. Okay. Uh, it was, you know, I was just trying to figure out, honestly, how to reach out to companies. Brooks is the only one I sent one to. Um, I've always, you know, I first honestly was attracted to their company because of their shoes. I started wearing them in the middle of college um, and loved that. Okay. I like their motto, the run happy. Um, the more I got to know about looking at, you know, the people who ran for them and sort of the messages they were displaying, it was just like this, you know, community-based, fun, like, enjoyable side of it that I really like. You know, running to me is fun. Um, I love the racing, but I also love, you know, the people in it. You know, the fact that you can just enjoy it with your friends, going outside for the nice weather. Um, so I really just liked how their attitude just seemed like light, enjoyable. They're obviously still very serious for the pros, but it just was just a great atmosphere. Um, so I think the then that summer, uh, so the summer of 2014, I saw a random thing on Twitter by Jesse Williams, who was their, um, I think, head of marketing at the time. Right. And he had said something, hey, we're having a fast 1500 in Seattle. And I messaged him back, and I was like, uh, I'm coming. You know, I had... I hadn't gone to Europe before. There's not, there was not nearly as many opportunities in the summer at that point, especially not for a 1500. Um, and so they're like, you know, they gave me the details. They had a house ready for me to stay at with some other athletes, which was amazing. Um, and I flew out there. I met with um, Danny Mackey and Jesse a bit. I, uh, I ran my 1500. I ran a PR of 408. Um, it was a really good experience. And so, you know, we had been talking a little bit at that point, but nothing had really come of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the following summer rolls around, so summer of 2015, and I had ran into them at a couple more meets, and at that point, it had been a little over two years, I'd been out, and, you know, absolutely nothing, no gear, anything at this point, and so I was like, hey, you know, I love your company, I'm not getting in, you know, I don't have anything going on right now, um, can I run in your Brooks gear? And they were like, sure, we'll totally help you out, so they sent me a bunch of gear, and kind of got me started with that in 2015, um, I saw with uh, Flynn Sports a couple months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so January of 2016, I signed with Brooks ID, um, which is their entry-level program, and that is, like, gear and bonuses. Okay. So I was with that for until about August of last year. And at that point, I had really had, you know, my major breakthrough season between the trials and really dropping my times down. Um, and then they brought me on as a fully sponsored athlete last August, which is when mm-hmm. I officially signed. Right. So it was, it was a long process, but you know, through it all, I just, you know, I loved the company, um, that they're great people. And I, I guess I was just willing to, you know, kind of keep working at it. Cause I thought that I had the talent and the abilities and it was just trying to find somebody who believed in that and wanted to support that as well. That's quite a story there, and, and you talk about just how it, it took until August 2016 to get that fully, full-fledged sponsorship. I mean, that yeah. makes you work. That's an incentive in and of itself with your training, with your racing, to know that, hey, I'm on Brooks ID, I'm entry-level. Okay, what do I need to do to take this to the next level of sponsorship? Mm-hmm. And that's, 
And that was post trials, right? Then August. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was like a month or so after. Wow. Um, and that. Ooh, do I want to jump right into the trials race? I <laughs> think because I wanted to just uh, forward your blog to the listeners too, and how you started this website right around um, uh, right around time you were getting involved with Brooks around July 2015. You started this website. Um, I love it. I love. You know, I wish we could get like once a month from Amanda, just her thoughts on where she I is actually at. Have, I have some in the works. I'm hoping to get up in the next couple days. I'm, I know yeah. I need to get more blogs up. It's kind of one of the goals that I'm hoping to get a little bit better at this year. I love when runners share, you know, more long form. It's more than a Twitter answer. It's more than a Facebook post or an Instagram. Yeah. It's where you can elaborate longer and just uh, let us uh, kind of be right alongside you in your training or your race recaps and just what's going on mentally. Um, I, it's Amanda Eccleston runs.com. And I encourage all listeners to go check out her blog and, and she's a great writer too. I, I recommend her writing and I, uh, started, started in 2015. And I mean, your last one was about, uh, the runner up finish for U of M women cross country last season. Um, so we are. We're eager for that next piece of writing. And as Amanda said, yes. we're hopefully now we'll that I've said this out loud too, I need to get it. <laughs> you have to. You committed. Yeah. Promises. Um, <laughs> yeah. So 2016 was huge for you, um, just top to bottom. I also love about your website, which I think like all runners should be required to do. I'd love it if they were to just write their races and their results. You know what's coming up. Each result, you write the place, the date, your time, everything, and it's yeah. super helpful in prep for a podcast like this, but also <laughs> if we just want to keep up with you and your running and learn more about the runners on the professional scene. Uh, 2016, really top to bottom. Uh, I know you, you mentioned in interviews, you may have written about it on your website too. Um, pretty early on in 2016, you started, you talked to Coach McGuire about this this goal of being top three at the trials to make the Rio team or was it already kind of late 2015 you were kind of um, gearing up it was it was late 2015 I came into his office I usually try and have like a formal meeting at the beginning of the year with him even though we talk all the time yeah. and I had my goals written down on paper and it was like number one make that Olympic team top three and like number two was like 403 you know and I had like everything written down exactly what I wanted to do and he just I mean he's a man of few words but Mike was like okay yep <laughs> You know, it wasn't like, you know, should we check your ambition a little? Should we be realistic? He was just like, all right, you know. <laughs> so I think, you know, I think he was on board. <laughs> sure thing. And that, I mean, he had to see the progress through 2016 when, I mean, I know you set a couple of your PRs post-trials, but mm -hmm. if you would look at your PRs, your personal best, we see you 800, 1500 mile, road mile, 3000 all PRs in that one year. Every PR that year, yeah. And I yeah. actually set three of them in the month right before the trials, which Jeez. was just like that sign, like, I'm ready to go. So you're loaded up on confidence. You are, I love how you write about, you're just, you're focused on yourself, and you're not looking at who's towing the line. It's going to be Shannon Robury. It's going to be Jenny Simpson. It's going to be Brenda Martinez. These names that, you know, if you follow the sport, you know, and you know, their times and what they've accomplished on the world scene and Olympic scene. But you, you write about how you just don't get caught up in that. You trust your training. You talk about, I'm running this for the glory of God and for my progress in my professional running and whoever's towing the line. I'm just confident 
I can make this team or I can win this race. Um, tell me then that those 2016 trials in Oregon, the first two rounds, how are you feeling leading up to that final of the 1500? Um, I was so incredibly calm and confident. I was shocked at how easy those rounds went. Uh, the first round, as I had said earlier, leading's not necessarily my favorite, um, but I had started in position one, and I got off a pretty got off the line pretty quickly in the first round, and all of a sudden I'm, like, in the front, and I just didn't want to run it super slow so it could turn into messy, um, or, you know, if you run too slow, it really turns into this horrible kick at the end, and I didn't want to mess around with that. So I just ran, like, really comfortably, um, came through in 4.13, and I just walked off the track being like, wow, that was the easiest 4.13 I've ever ran. <laughs> um, and then in the um, semifinals, I ran the majority of the race right off the leader on the outside, which is probably my favorite place to run. Um, there's a tiny bit of boxing in on the last lap, but it's like, well, top five go, and I, know it, I knew it would open up, and then I was able to just kind of squeeze out into second place just in case, you know, a huge group was coming up behind me or anything. So I just, I walked away from those two being like, wow, you know, that went so smooth and so easy. Um, and I just, I just like a hundred percent believed I was going to make it. It, you know, it, I think you kind of have to have that attitude of just no doubt and no fear because when you're in the most vulnerable state, when you probably have like 300 or 400 left in the race, mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to have those doubts pop up because no. uh, at that point, you know, yes, you're dying, but so is everybody else around you. So it's just, you know, the more and more and more I could convince myself um, and be in that total confidence mode, um, the better it would be when I got to that final. And I honestly, you know, my poor parents, I'm sure, and my husband were just beyond nervous. And I'm just like, fine, you know, I'll be <laughs> I walked to the start of the line. I was very relaxed. Um, it was... Yeah, it was kind of surreal how I did not expect to be that calm throughout the whole process. Wow, just kind of a nonchalant vibe, just let's get the gun going yeah, and yeah, stick I mean, it to was the track. It was definitely focused, but not that, like, nervous anxiety at all. It was just like, you know, I'm ready for this. I've been waiting for this all year. I watched the final again leading up to this interview, and it looked like from the gun you positioned right where you wanted to. Is that right? How were you feeling going into uh, the lap? Yeah, for the most part, I was where I wanted to be. Going into the bell lap, though, I let a couple people slide by and was like bumped back a little further. And that is probably the only mistake I made in that race is I was an eighth at the bell, and I probably should have been more like fifth to sixth. Because I know I have a really strong finish and a strong kick, but it's hard to make up that much ground on people of this caliber. Um, so it ran, I ran the race very closely to how I would have wanted. It was just, you know, honestly, like a two-step two difference at the bell would probably have made that difference at the end. Um, but it's like I can't really, you know, overly beat myself up about it because it's done. It wasn't, you know, it was a very slight thing. Um but for the most part, yeah, I didn't want to lead the final. Um, I wanted to just be in position. And honestly, that entire last lap, I was telling myself, like, you can still do this. You can still make it. You know, even though I can count ahead of me, like, six or seven people, I'm like, it's fine. Like, you can still do it. Because I had really gotten confident in that finishing stretch over the last few races. Mm -hmm. You told Runner's World that you believed 100% on the last lap that you were going to make it. And as, <laughs> as you're closing that final 100 down to 80 meters, 60, and you're closing in on Brenda Martinez. 
still at that point you're thinking, I'm going to make this team. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's absolutely no room in your mind to doubt. And it's, at that point, it's not even so much as I'm thinking about the team as I'm literally thinking about running as fast as I possibly can. And I, you know, I hit several more, like every time I thought I was going all out, it's like you find another gear and you keep going harder and harder and harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could tell probably about 20 yards from the line, I'm like, I'm going to go down. Uh, I just don't know if it's going to be before or after the line. Uh, you know, I could just, like, everything was seizing up. And so it obviously looks like me and Brenda dove. It was kind of, I mean, at least on my part, I know I was falling across the line um, and just trying to stay on my feet because it was like, you know, you just literally outran what your body's capable of that last hundred. And you closed in 60 seconds for the first time ever. Yeah, yeah. It was it was by far my best close. And at the time, it was my second best time. Um, so honestly, the race was incredible for me it was such a good performance incredible for the viewers another one to recommend (laughs) go on youtube search it 2016 olympic trials 1500 meter for the women yeah just this tumble at the line and then you're sitting there with brenda pretty close and you're just you hear uh the first two names and then you're waiting for the third name what the heck is going on in your mind there amanda you're, I mean, you're on the track at Hayward Field yeah. Olympic Trials, and you're just you're holding on to hope that you may have yeah, qualified. Well, it's kind of funny because, like, you know, I'm sort of holding on to hope, but I, I'm like caught in limbo because mm. it's like I don't want to hope that it's me, and you know, have that like excitement just to have that crushed, but you don't also want to completely give up hope because you know you're obviously still wanting to make it. So I'm like I'm literally trying to like stop all my emotions and just like freeze and wait. Because I'm like, you know, if I go either way right now, I'm just going to get too emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just, like, trying to block everything out and just, like, waiting and repeating my name over and over. Like, maybe they'll say that if I keep thinking it enough. Um, so it was, yeah, it was really surreal. And it's it's funny because when they announced Brenda, it's not like I felt this huge wave of disappointment or devastation. I was just sort of, like, almost numb. It was just, like, it's not me. Like, how, how is that possible? Like, you know, for every single day for a year, I've seen this play out in my head a thousand times, and, like, it's always been me, you know? So it's just, like, uh-huh. I, there's so many athletes who were in my position who were hoping, you know, to be that first, second, or third place, and they've seen it play out a million times. So it's just, you know, you know other people understand what's happening, but you just don't think you're going to end up on the short side of such a close race. Yeah, it's something about visualization there that you just talked about and you wrote about in one of your blog posts about just visualizing the race a million times in your head, all the scenarios and how you made a great point at the end of that post about and at the end of each race, I, I win in my mind. And that's, yeah. <laughs> that's something you got to think and believe. And I know there was a big roar that took over the stadium there in Eugene after they announced Brenda because she had a tough fall in the 800 meters earlier. Yeah, I mean, honestly, what she did was incredible that week, you know, failing to make it in the eight and then coming back in the 15. You know, I I know the crowd was definitely cheering for her and for good reason. And you're just coming onto the scene. You had a great quote to Runner's World about, you said it's nothing personal at all. They're not rooting against me. They're not rooting, or they don't really know me or my story, um, so they don't have something to cheer for either, and that's yeah. that's just your your grace and defeat, which shows up in all these post-race interviews and these articles about how you then said, hey, I, am, I can't be happier for the three women who made this team, because we're sending arguably the best women's 1500 meter team from the U.S. to the Olympics ever. 
Yeah, it, you know, it was, I mean, and that's true. It, it, it's honestly, how, how can you be disappointed when I know where I was in high school and I know where I was in college and nobody would have picked me to ever make it that far. You know, yeah. like I had said earlier, I just wanted to make it to the trials one day because I thought that would be incredible. Um, so, it's, yeah, it's just obviously my goals have increased um, and have grown, you know, over the past several years. But that doesn't mean I shouldn't celebrate how far I have gotten. Oh, sure thing. And you just got, yeah, you got to think about the progress you made since that high schooler at Tecumseh and going to Hillsdale to Michigan where you where you are now with Brooks and your professional career. It's just an amazing leap. Um, you told Runner's World, too, that with that trials race in 2016, you know, sometimes you walk away from a race and you say, ah, I could have done something different there on lap two or I should have given more on the final hundred. But you said after this race, hey, I ran with everything I had. There is no regret. I'm going to move forward. I got some sweet races on the horizon the rest of the summer. Talk about that approach to the fourth place finish at the trials, too. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. I really, when I think about that race, like, you know, there's obviously a little bit of sadness that I didn't make the team, but there is not an ounce of, you know, regret or that, like, sinking feeling in your stomach that you did something wrong. You know, it's just like, I have never ran. Uh, to me, anyway, a race where I put more of myself into it. So it's like, yeah, I, I could walk away. And I think that's why I've been, you know, able to be fine with the outcome is there's nothing I could have done. Um, and, you know, it, it was it was actually really good that I was able to race. Um, I think I raced six days later. It was maybe seven days later. It was pretty soon. Because um, sometimes I think that's the best way to get over a disappointment. It's just to get right back out there um, and race again right away. And that's what I did this summer as well. Um, and this summer was... A, quite a bit more disappointing USA's for me um but I hadn't planned on racing right away and then as I'm on my about to go to the airport my agent called and said you know track town had an opening do you want to come mm-hmm. and I was like yes you know I, I know that I don't feel like it right now but I know that racing in five days is going to be so much better for me than you know sitting there and dwelling on it um because racing it's it's my favorite part of what I do I love getting out there and racing uh so it's it's the most fun. It's definitely for me the way to get over any performance that I'm not happy with is like, what's the soonest race I can sign up for, you know, to do something else and kind of get me back in that positive mindset. Yeah. After the trials, you, you went to London and ran your first ever diamond league race mm-hmm. and you ran two 1500 PRs within five days. So that's just another way that you were able to overcome that disappointing fourth place finish. And you had a great post on your website from July 26, 2016, just titled .03 seconds. That was the difference. Brenda Martinez, 406.16. Amanda Eccleston, 406.19. But we just talked about the takeaways and how you just gave it your all. And you said, let's get some more racing in and see what I can do overseas. And talk about those two PRs within five days pretty soon after the trials. Yeah, um, I mean, I knew I was in the best shape of my life going into the trials. Um, It's actually kind of funny because I had a very rough spring. I had to take off a decent amount of time and really drop my training in March and April, getting over some injuries. Um, But then once I hit May, we kind of just really slammed the workouts and really whipped me into shape right in time for the trials. Um, At the same time, though, you know, we were thinking I'm going to be in even better shape in August when the Olympics come than I would be when the trials came. So, you know, I definitely knew I had it in me going over to Europe to run some good times. Uh, The first race I did, 
I had the worst warm-up of my life, and I was like, oh, so this is what jet lag it feels like. <laughs> I had never traveled that far before. Um, so that was a little bit of a struggle. And as soon as the race started, though, it was like everything just clicked into place. Um, I felt really good. Uh, if anything, I felt like the first race I held back until the last 100 um, and then started going because I was like in the back of my mind, well, you know, London's coming up and this is just, you know, your shakeout race over here. And then when I saw the time, I was pleasantly surprised. I was like, oh, I, you know, I ran a PR. That's that's great. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, when I went to London five days later, it was that was, a you know, a pretty big experience. I love big crowds, though. So it wasn't caught intimidating, more so just really exciting. Um, and I had been getting out pretty quick lately in my races so i know i got out really fast in the diamond league <laughs> and i found myself in third place behind the rabbit and i was like what are you doing up here uh, but then i was like well i kind of committed at this point so you know i just need to stay right here i obviously didn't finish quite that high but um i think it just made me get out and get engaged in the race right away and honestly just like hold on for dear life i was really tired in that race i think the travel and you know the trials and all those races were catching up um, but I was just glad that I was strong enough to take advantage of a good day in a good situation and just, you know, run as fast as I could and get, get another nice PR there. In what ways did the 2016 Olympic trials final change your life? Um, I mean, I do think that contributed to my contract with Brooks. Yes. Uh, so I guess that's one very tangible way. Um, I think too, though, that now, even though I've always had the belief that I can be that good and go that far, and now I just feel like I have the results to back up what I say. You know, it's, like, not crazy for me now to be like, oh, my goals are to make world teams and to make Olympic teams. It's not that people anymore are going to look at, what are you talking about? Um, you know, it's like, I saw that, I was right there, and I know what it takes to get there. Um, so I think that level of confidence, it's definitely, you know, much, much more than it was even before the trials. Um, I would like to think that, you know, maybe there's some people who have been dealing with these huge race disappointments are just not quite reaching their goals and hopefully can see that and be like, hey, it's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's all right to not reach your goals. And even if you say what they are out there and you're, you know, very adamant about wanting it and not reaching it, and, you know, that's okay. And you also don't have to be devastated about it and just learning how to, I guess, see what's, what's good and what you accomplish anyway. Um, I, you know, just because you don't make it doesn't mean it's a failure. I guess there's so many other good things that come along because of that. Um, but you know, what I was thinking is I don't know how much different, I don't know how much would have changed if I had actually made the Olympic team. Right. Um, you know, I'm, it's an incredible thing and it's still my goal for 2020, but you know, in terms of, you know, my family, my friends, the things I care about, what's important in my life, um, all of that is the same, whether or not I'm an Olympian. Um, and so I think it's just, you know, it's just a really cool experience I want to have one day. Um, it's definitely the things I aim for, you know, if not 2020, maybe 2024, I'm definitely not going to give up. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't change who I am as a person, whether or not I make that. Um, and I just think, it's taught me to enjoy and take every opportunity for what it is because I don't know, you know, if I will be able to line up again healthy in the future. I hope so, and that's always the goal, but I was really, really grateful to be able to race and to be in, like, the fitness level to go after it that year. Sure. Do you find it tiring or encouraging when you hear someone say, 
hey, you missed it by a hair in 2016, but Tokyo 2020 is there, and we're counting on you to make that team. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't find that tiring because that's exactly where my thoughts are. Sure. Um, although, I guess it's while that is definitely my goal, it's not the only thing I want to focus on between now and then because mm-hmm. um, I do think that's a little bit dangerous to put so much on one race um, right. in one day. But it's like there, you know, I wanted. I want to just become a better athlete between now and then overall. Um, you know, I want to be faster. I want to win more races. I want to be stronger at different parts in the race. Um, and so to me, that's sort of what I'm focusing on more so. And, you know, maybe getting mentally tougher, being able to, you know, push myself harder. And if I work on all of those things, then when I line up hopefully healthy in 2020, you know, you'd like to think all the tools are there for it to happen. Um, but yeah, I don't, well, it's definitely, you know, oh, 2020, it's like, yeah, 2020 would be great, but there's all, all these races between now and then, um, that I want to enjoy and have fun with. So much to check off the list before 2020 exactly. rolls around. Yeah. Is Hayward Field in Eugene, Oregon, hands down the best track and field atmosphere in America from someone who has run there? Um, in America, probably yes. I would say for the, the trials was the best atmosphere I've ran out in the U.S., um, it's funny because I always thought the trials would just be like USA's. It's just a different year, and it is not at all. <laughs> you know, the trials are just so much more intense and emotional, and it's an incredibly different experience. Um, so, yeah, it was it was very unique there, even between 2015 and 2016, both being at Hayward. It was a completely different experience for the trials. Right, and you talked about you feed off the energy of large crowds, so we get yeah. that at Hayward. I'm going to swing now into these grassroots miles that are popping up in America. And Amanda, you are, I mean, you're like three years into it. It's pretty early, but you're pretty much a legend in these grassroots <laughs> track miles that are going on on the East Coast. And then uh, we, we talk about the Michigan Track Classic. We have the Sir Walter Miler in Raleigh, North Carolina. Poco mm-hmm. One One Long Island Miler started by Kyle Merber. Oh my gosh. I mean, you're a two-time champion of the Long Island Mile. You just won Sir Walter this year as your final race of 2017. Tell the listeners, I was there this year in Sir Walter, at Sir Walter, just because I had to get a grasp on the atmosphere being there in person. Because I watched, you know, Long Island on Runner Space and I saw highlights of Sir Walter, but my friend Will and I, we had to take the drive from West Michigan all the way down to North Carolina to see what it was, was Sir Walter was all about in Raleigh. Um, tell us just the the atmosphere, these mile races. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, it really is. They're honestly some of my favorite races. I love, you know, August in the U.S., getting to race those miles. Um, it Usually there's a couple thousand people there. Um, they line the track really close, which is so much fun as an athlete. I love when you, especially running down that home stretch, you've got just so many people screaming and yelling at you. Uh, it makes it so fun. And I, I, I like going back year after year as well, because especially my third time at Sir Walter this year, people are starting to know me. They're starting to know my story. So you have a little bit more fans there, uh, which is really fun for you as an athlete. Um, you know, they just do a great job of trying to kind of bridge that gap between the pros and the community, whether it's, um, you know, bringing in high schoolers or having uh, like the run the following day at Sir Walter, the run with the pros. Um, so it's like you're gaining fans, not just because of your stats, but also because they get to know you as a person. 
Uh, and hopefully you're getting people more excited in professional track and field in the U.S. Uh, yeah, but the, the atmosphere is just great. It's really high energy. Um, they want to see fast times. So, you know, we want to get out and deliver that for them as well. Um, and it's great, too. A lot of the competitors I know very well at this point. So they're kind of like little meetups for us as well. You know, you're going to yeah. go to these places and see all your friends. And, you know, and get a chance to hang out with them again, even though you've seen them. A lot of us do the same races weekend <laughs> week, so we see each other all the time. We try not to get sick of each other. Yeah. Battling each other on the track and enjoying time off of it. Yeah, but it's so great that more and more of these are popping up and giving athletes a chance to compete and stay in the U.S., you know, both for us to have racing opportunities and to try and get the community more interested in what we do. And how about that Sir Walter? I mean, that's where your mile PR is from. Last year at Sir Walter, 425, 6'4", runner-up finish there, come back this year, win it. Um, it just gives awesome opportunities to run fast. Like you said, they want the men to try to get well under four, and they aim for the women, you know, to go under 430. Yeah. And talk about just like, I mean, it helps to have the prize money there too now that the, the sponsors are joining in on these races and then getting these just stacked fields. These are... These are fields to write home about, indeed, and, and just your success at, at these these miles. Uh, yeah, talk about, I want you to just elaborate on that 425 PR from Sir Walter, where I think Stephanie Garcia, did she take the win that year? Um, Actually, Lauren Johnson won that Lauren year. Lauren Johnson, okay. Yeah, so two years ago, or I guess, yeah, two years ago, Stephanie did win, and okay. that was the race I first broke 430 in. Um, and then last year, I came, and last year, I just, I knew I was in really, really good shape, so I was just like, hey, I'm going after the rabbit, you know, I'm going to make sure this is really fast, um, and I didn't feel very good, actually, <laughs> um, I don't know, I had a cold or something, so, like, the hour before the race, I had changed my strategy, I was like, okay, I'm not going to go after the rabbit, I'm just not feeling great, and then I got off the lawn great again, and ended up behind the rabbit, and I was like, well, it's now or never, you know, I want to make this a fast race, um, so I got out and kind of hung on as long as I could. I started to fall off maybe around eight or 900. Um, you know, and I was slowing the whole field down at that point. Not trying to, but I was like, I'm really tired. I need some help here. Um, and Lauren Johnson came flying by, and I was like, thank you. You know, someone who can kind of get it going again. And I sort of la tried to latch on to her. Um, but she just finished really strong the whole way on the last 600 or so. And I was, you know, trying to catch her right down at the end. I usually get, like, one more little burst of speed on the home stretch. Um, but, yeah, she, she ended up going, I think, 424. Um, and ran a great race there. Uh, but helped me, pulled me along to my PR there. Uh, but, you know, with that, you know, with the rabbits there, they try to set it up to be a very fast race. We know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that time of the summer, too, it's kind of like, you know, USA's is done. You worried about place there. And at this point in the summer, let's just try and capitalize on our fitness and see what we have. So I think when you can get a group together who wants to run fast, that's how we're getting these great races to come together. Uh, and like you were saying, I mean, there's huge waiting lists for these races. Okay, They're okay. very popular. Um, and that's why your field is so stacked, because at that time of the summer, we're looking for those opportunities. We're still really fit and ready to you know, have fun with that. So there could be 50 or 60 people waiting to get in, and they only can take 15. Jeez. Jeez. I was going to ask the acceptance into that race, how you get entry. Is it is it um, like you finish top three in 2016 and you get an automatic bid for the next year? Is it you approach 
Sir Walter committee or do they approach you? How does that work out to get in? Yeah, I think it's a whole combination. The very first year I approached them, the first year I wanted to do it, I think that they do have some automatic. Um, you'd have to ask Jeff Karen and Pat Price a little bit more specifically. Yeah. But there are some automatic spots for people who, you know, either top three or four or something. Um, and then a lot of times people send in their names. Um, and then sometimes if they have an athlete in mind, they may approach them as well. But part of their goal, because they do want to see people for the first time break 4.30 and 4 minutes, is they'll try and find those borderline athletes. Um, so it's kind of challenging because you might have 25 girls who are under 4.30. Mm-hmm. I want to just take everyone who's under 4.30 because you're trying to have some first timers. So, sure. you know, sort of this delicate process of trying to find, you know, people like that, people with these cool stories that the community can connect to. Um, so, yeah, I think it's actually quite hard for them <laughs> to narrow that list down. <laughs> so 2017, your season, one of the highlights, obviously, is that win at Sir Walter. Um, you also had a win at the Mount Sac Relays in the 1500 in April, um, set a PR in the 5K at yeah. the USATF Mid-Distance Classic, um, second at the Road Mile Championships. I'm just reading off some of these accomplishments from, the, from this year. Like you said, ninth at Outdoor Championships in the 15, then went and did Track Town Summer Series in San Fran and New York, ran really well each race there in the 1500. Took a trip to Italy and Belgium for some 1500s and an 800 in Italy, and then capped it off with Sir Walter. Um, am I missing any highlights from the season, any race in that group that you want to talk more on because you are proud of your finish or, <laughs> or what happened that day? Um, I mean, there's a couple races I can talk about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the road mile was pretty fun. I like road miles. They're a little bit more low-key. Um, and a good atmosphere, and that, you know, was, I guess that's technically the best I've ever finished in a USA Championship, was second there. <laughs> um, but it was cool to go one, two with Katie Mackey of Brooks as well. Um, and then, you know, for the track town, me and Hannah Fields went one, two at both. Um, she won the first, I won the second, so there was some, some good Brooks representation there. Uh, uh, the 5K that I ran, to me, was actually a big step forward. Um, I don't feel like I was able to make as much progress in the 1500 and mile this year as I did last year, even though I ran pretty consistent. Um, but the 5K was, I think, an 18-second PR, um, and that was that was a big step. I never would have thought I could run a 5K that fast. Um, I've never thought of myself as a 5K. I still really don't, but it's nice to be able to put in that strength training and, you know, kind of work through the mental challenges of a 5K that are a lot different than a 1500. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I watched that 5K on on NBC Sports Gold, and I and thought, hey, Amanda's getting out of her comfort zone for this one. See what she can do. And you finished sixth again in an 18-second PR. Yeah, I think it's – I kind of like doing a 5K every year to challenge myself. Um, and because that one I, you know, usually can see direct correlations to where my strength is, um, where sometimes the 15 a little bit depends on the race and the situation and the goal. Um, and I was also glad when I ran – I ran a similar 5K last year, but I sort of hit that wall at two miles and faded off. And this year I was able to sort of push through that point and not fall apart at the end. Um, I don't think I'm going to move up to the 5K anytime soon at all, but it is nice (laughs) to sort of have a little bit fun with a different event. Um, So that was good. Um, The Tracktown races, I I had a rough USA's right before Tracktown. 
Um, and some of it was just, I just did not feel good this year for whatever reason. I don't, I know I did not have the training back in my year um, for various reasons. And I was very, very tired coming off of USA's. So the track town races, I went in both with just a goal of getting to the 800. Yep. You know, it's like, just get to that 800. And then you can worry about the second half of the race once you get there. Um, it was just, I was just exhausted every day. You know, my, my strides were tiring. My runs were like eight minute pace around that point. Hmm. Um, and so I just felt like, to me, those were big steps forward, whereas I was, you know, struggling mentally a bit around USA's um, and was able to sort of figure out a way to work through that at Track Town. And that was just, yeah, just, you know, breaking the race down physically and being like, don't worry about winning right now because that's very difficult to fathom when you feel as tired as you do. It's like, just worry about getting to the 800. And then once I get there, you know, I'm over halfway done. And then I can worry about where do I need to be? How do I need to position myself? When do I need to make a move? Um, mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, that was definitely like kind of got my summer rolling again were those races and sort of got me back on track. What makes Hannah Fields a tough competitor? She's another one who is kind of breaking her way into the professional <laughs> scene. She's an NAIA runner. Uh Tell us something we got to know about Hannah Fields and, and her <laughs> racing style and just what's going to make her successful on this pro scene. Yeah, I think Hannah has um, very good speed, and she's a very good finisher. Um, and She's someone who knows how to win a race. I think a lot of that came from you know being in the NAIA and getting used to winning and the confidence you get from that. I think sometimes those of us who came from a smaller level, like, you know, NAIA, D2, D3, and we're probably a little bit more of a big fish in a small pond, we knew how to win. Um, And even though, you know, you may not be racing as talented people, you get that confidence that comes from winning at that level. And it takes a little bit when you break into the pro scene. You know, you're obviously not going to be winning at the same rate. But it's like you still remember what it felt like and how to do it. So I think you know, I think Hannah's really good at that. I think she's got, like, such a great finishing kick, and now she's finally getting the strength to back that up mm-hmm. so that, you know, before she probably wasn't in the position to be able to make a move at the end. Well, now she's strong enough to hang on with the race long enough so that she gets to the last 150 or 200, and she can make a move. So, yeah, it'll be really exciting to see what she does in the future, um, and she's definitely got both the 800 and the 1500 to look forward to. Yeah, sure thing. Uh, post-track town, you, you go to Italy then, uh, July 12th and race in 800. I, I'm always curious with these these trips overseas for professional <laughs> runners. Are they arranged by a travel agent within Brooks? Are Is all the travel plans on your time and your itinerary? How do these uh, trips abroad work and what races to pick and just how to get there and where to stay? I'm just curious on the, yeah, the travel. No, I, yeah, before I was a pro, I, had, I did not understand at all either. Um, and I'm sure it's a little different for everyone. But for me, it's pretty much Ray and Slim Sports Management who do all of that for me. Okay. So basically, you know, and they, they know their athletes. So they know I don't like to talk about those kind of things until after USA's. You know, because I'm like, hey, obviously my goal is to make the team. So we're not going to make any travel plans until I know if I made the team or not. And so they don't bother me. And then, you know, usually day it ends or right after they'll be like hey amanda we have you entered in all these races what do you think do you want to make any changes do you want to change any events um and then i will probably talk to my coach and we'll be like what do we want to do based on this list i think 
Okay. And all four races they suggested I just switch one to an 800 instead of a 15. Um, and now, like, I usually don't uh, go through Brooks very much with this. They're great about letting us do what races we think works well with our coaches and with our agent. And, you know, as long as we're out there running law and repping Brooks, like, they're great with that. Um, so, Flynn Sports, they book my ticket. They tell me where to be. You know, they have our stay arranged. So, I literally just, like, get on the airplane. Someone picks me up when I get to the to Italy at the airport, drops me off at the meet hotel, and, like, things are taken care of. You know, if we have to travel between meets, they help arrange that travel as well. Um, I feel incredibly lucky. I, I absolutely love working with um, their team. I think they do a great job. Usually they, they have quite a few athletes, so a lot of us will travel together over there, which mm-hmm. makes so much more fun. Oh, yeah. Um, but you have a group of people to run with, to hang out with, and relax, because, you know, obviously you're over there to race and do well, but there's a lot of downtime as well. Um, so, I yeah, it's, it was a lot simpler than I thought it would be. It's, you know, thank goodness I had this agent who's just able to sort of work everything out for me. Sounds efficient and on point. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to talk about, give you a few minutes to talk about the connection with faith and running. On your website, you have Philippians 4.13 on the homepage. You, you talk about trusting the Lord's will and just seeking the guidance of God, both in your everyday life and, and in this training. So I want to give you a moment here to just talk about how, how faith and running connect for you. Yeah, it's, I think to me, it's almost impossible to do what I do without having faith and having, you know, the abilities God has given me. Um, because I, Obviously, I work hard, and I train hard to be the athlete that I am, but, I mean, that's thanks to the natural gifts God's given me and the dedication and motivation that he's given me, this drive. Um, So, honestly, it's, you know, I don't think it's anything I could accomplish without him. I think it's a huge support to me, too. I don't feel like I race alone. You know, it's very nerve-wracking sometimes going to the start line and being in these race situations where there's high pressure you know, sometimes your income is on the line and, yep. you know, you've got pressures of coaches, sponsors, agents, all of this. And just to be able to know that, like, I can just put all that, you know, on God and it's just such a stress reliever. I mean, every, so all my races, you know, beforehand, I always think of, um, I think of putting all those fears and anxieties and worries in a little box. And I always think like, you know, I just lift it up to the Lord and he takes care of it and it's gone. And it's just like a physical sense of relief. And after I do that, it's just like, wow, now I can just go out and just run for God and run for fun. Um, And so for me, it's just, it really allows me to, I guess, embrace like the joy of running uh, instead of all those little things that can really stress you out and get you down. Um, in particular, I felt, you know, very close to God as I was training up to the trials. Um, I mentioned just briefly earlier, but, um, my, my spring was kind of rough right mm-hmm. after, um, indoor nationals of 2016. I finished third. I just missed the indoor team there. Um, but I had, um, a pretty serious tendon issue at that race. And even two days before some really bad foot pain that we were like, what is this? It felt like a stress fracture but it had just started out of the blue two days before. So I sort of walked away from that race being like, you know what, this could be a good thing because I don't think I could have trained one more week at that point for the indoor uh, world championships. Right. So I took about 12 or 13 days of no running. 
and was going to PT. And, you know, I was like, all right, clock's ticking a little bit. Can't take too long with the trials. Um, but I was having a really hard time getting back into running. So mm-hmm. for about six weeks between indoors and Drake relays, I was running like every other day, like three miles, four miles. Um, I did a couple light workouts right before Drake, but I was not very fit. Um, so actually at Drake, I ran a 4.22 and it was not a bomb. <laughs> it was not a <laughs> I just had lost a lot of fitness. And I was sort of like, I have, you know, 10 weeks or whatever. I can't do this alone. And I was like, you know, this is when I just have to completely rely on God being able to get me through this and get me where I need to be. And it was almost like just, you know, an incredible two months after that of, how much progress I saw every single day, how much more belief I had, and just knowing that, like, okay, this is probably impossible for me to make the team, but if I just put my trust in God, and he's going to make everything, you know, work out, however that may be. And, you know, it really did. Um, I know I didn't make the team, but it's like, I don't know how I got that fit and that strong in such a short amount of time again. (laughs) And just, you know, it was just so like confident and so mentally focused. Um, and I felt like that, yeah, that was a really, really cool time for me just to like, feel like I had to grow in my faith just to trust him that things would come together for Mm -hmm. that. Um, but yeah, I think to me, it's just, it's just so nice to have like that, that comfort of knowing he's there. And, you know, I hope that since I have, you know, a little bit of a, a platform with my website and social media that, you know, other people can sort of see that as well and um, kind of, you know, maybe that will help them connect or help them you know, at least, you know, think about think about um, spending time with God or, you know, maybe the experiences of it. Oh, yeah. You're learning the trust and also praising him in, in both the, the highs and the setbacks through this, this journey of your running career, indeed. Yeah, I mean, I do think, you know, because... I had my faith really helped me get through disappointment as well. And honestly made it not even disappointment too. Looking forward to 2018. Um, if you didn't know as a, as a listener, as a professional runner, you're looking at world championships and Olympic teams are the two highest accomplishments. If you make a team and represent the USA at the world championships or Olympics, that's an amazing addition to your resume and can take you to just new levels of running. And 2018, Amanda, is a down year where we don't have world championships, we don't have Olympics, so shooting forward to the outdoor 2018, um, what do you, do you have any goals right now in 2017? We're getting into almost uh, October here, but looking forward to 2018 outdoor, are you just going to be going for fast times, you know? Granted, yeah. granted, there's health too, and that you can just get after some of these races and maybe some of those, uh, again, grassroots miles like Sir Walter or, or Hoka, Long Island. Um, just what are you aiming for 2018 in a down year with no world champs or Olympics? Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited um, to have a chance just to have, have a lot of fun with racing and sort of yeah, take up yeah. every opportunity that we have. There's not that pressure of trying to meticulously plan out which races you need before USA is to make sure everything's perfect so you can try and make a team. Um, so me and my coach have talked about, you know, just taking advantage of whatever race opportunities come, you know, whether that's Diamond Leagues further away, where this year I would not have wanted to go quite as far with the travel. Um, you know, maybe I'll have more races in Europe. I do know that there is 
a dual meet between the U.S. and Britain in July, um, which sounds incredible. I would love to be a part of that. I and mean, that obviously depends on, you know, how fit I am, and I'm not sure their selection criteria. Uh, I where, definitely. Where is that going to be? I think that it's going to be in London again, in the okay. Olympic Stadium. Um, so I believe it's July, like, 18th or 20th or something. So that that would be a really cool event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely want to get after chasing some times. Um, as this 2016 was, you know, great. I hit PRs in every event. This past year, I did PR in the 8 and the, fi- the 5K, but I wasn't able to in the 15 or the mile. So that's definitely going to be a focus again. Um, I do I see myself and want to be able to break four in the 1500. I'm not sure if that'll happen yet this summer, um, but definitely trying to take the steps to get closer and closer to that sub four. Right. I think there's only been six American women. Um, it's a very elite club. Uh, but that's definitely, you know, that's probably the, the big time goal in my career that I want. Um, so to go after that, I would, you know, I'd love to go back to Sir Walter yep. um, for the fourth time. I'd like to go to Hoka again. Uh, it didn't work out this year, but it would be great to go next year and see if I could could win that one again. Um, you know, the fifth half road mile is always fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll just, you know, I'll probably race a lot. Um, and part of that is, you know, again, not having a certain race you have to peak for. If I get a little bit tired, we'll take a few weeks of, you know, a few weeks down and then get right back at it. Um, but, yeah, probably just, honestly, as many races as I can, um, have a lot of fun with it. I, you know, when I don't race for a little bit, I get a little antsy. So yeah. I'll be to just see as many as I can do. Yeah, even in a year without world champs or Olympics, you just outlined it there, the the amount of opportunities that are still going to be both in the U.S. and overseas. It's, it's abundant. It is. It is. I asked Amanda to reflect on the life of David Torrance. In late August, we heard the terrible news of David's unexpected death. David was 31 years old. He was a tremendous runner, representing Hoka One One, with PRs of 145 in the 800, 333 in the 1500, 352 for the mile, and 1316 for the 5K. David represented Peru at the 2016 Rio Olympics in the 5K. David was a two-time winner at the Hoka Long Island Mile. He went back-to-back in 2015 and 2016. In fact, Amanda took home the women's crown at the Long Island Mile in those years, 2015 and 2016. Here are Amanda's words. Yeah, it was it was devastating when we heard about David. It, it just didn't, it really didn't seem real. Um, it's hard to imagine somebody in the prime of their life and someone like him who's just so full of life mm-hmm. um, and how quickly that can end. Uh, you know, I think if people look around at some of those stories online, it's just incredible how many people he touched and how many people he knew. And everyone was emphasizing, you know, how, like kind of the warmness, how, how much he cared, how much he loved running, how much he wanted to share that, you know, he just always was up to get to know people up for any kind of adventure. Um, yeah, as I as I said, I, I did get to spend some time with him the last couple of years at Hoka, and it just you know he's just such a genuine person. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm you know it was really cool that they were able to sort of use that race to honor him because that race I think not only did he win that, but it's definitely it's the kind of race that David 
is all about. You know, how do you inspire that next generation? How do you get them excited about running? Um, and so I thought, you know, that was that was pretty incredible. They were able to to remember him there and will be forever since it's named after him now. Um, but yeah, it's just honestly, it makes it makes you want to be more like him, um, to be somebody who can just touch so many lives and just be such a positive light out there. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's really hard, but I do hope that people use, I guess, his story and use that to help make them a better person. Um, I don't know if that sounds cliche, Hmm. but he just, he was such a good guy. Um, and it, it was just, it was really hard to hear the news. Um, and I didn't know him as well as a lot of people. And it was still, you know, I think that just shows what kind of person he is that, even those of us who didn't know him as well were still really affected by his loss. Thanks for sharing those words. Wanted to give you a few minutes there to yeah, just yeah. talk on his life and the impact he made. Now let's transition here into the final few questions, maybe a little more than a few, but I just I learned some things either through Sir Walter's Get to Know You athlete pages, um, scrolling through your Twitter, just have some quick hitters here. Um, yeah. The first one might you might elaborate a little bit, but I'm interested in your tie to Run Gum and Coco Elite. Those are two uh, sponsors now. Yeah, yeah, they um are both sponsors. So Run Gum started, uh, I think 2015 when they offered to sponsor athletes who were unsponsored at the trials or not the trials, the USA Championships. Mm-hmm. So that's how I first got connected with them. And I have stayed with them ever since. And I actually do use their gum before almost all my races. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I like it. I have to be careful because I'm easily affected by caffeine. <laughs> it's too much. But, but that's great. Um, and Coco Lee, the, um one of the co-owners, Jim Bruno, approached me, oh, I think it was last summer, about it and his product. And basically, it's... um. They have this, this cocoa has a really high level of flavanols, which are great for your cardiovascular system. Yeah. Um, and they're really working on expanding their level of products. I use their protein powder a lot um, and their recovery drink. Uh, just It kind of tastes like delicious chocolate milk, um, which is great for, you know, after workouts. I like it because it's, it's literally like cocoa um, <laughs> and sugar. Like, I don't have to worry about what's in there. Um, you know, all these chemicals I can't name. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, so both of those have been um, great sponsors and really, you know, sort of helped me with all those little things about training, helping get those things right. Do you want to open a bakery one day? I know you are <laughs> super into baking. You have a sweet tooth, Amanda. What's your What's your goal with this, your, your uh, baking? <laughs> when I retire, and I'm not talking from <laughs> retiring from running, but when I'm older, like, that is this pipe dream that I could open a bakery and um, I'd make all the desserts. We'd have coffee, um, ice cream. I would, I would love that. Yeah, I actually really like baking. I do like cookies, um, muffins, banana bread, different things. Um, so I have, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a problem being an elite athlete with how much I love sweets. So I <laughs> try to learn how to make healthier sweets. So I don't feel quite so bad. Do you have a name for the bakery yet? Uh, gosh, I don't yet. Okay. Maybe I could somehow tie running in it so it seems healthier. Sure. I'd be on board for that idea. <laughs> uh, tell me about the time you uh, ate two pints of Ben & Jerry's in one city. Oh, yeah. That was bad. <laughs> um, no, in my, when I was in high school, one of my friends and I used to just 
I don't know, on like a weekend, we'd be hanging out, and we'd just go buy Ben and Jerry's, and we couldn't decide between two flavors, so I was like, oh, I'll just give them both, I'll just eat one, and then I finished one, I was like, no, I can't just eat one, <laughs> it was horrible, I felt so sick, I mean, that's literally like 2,200 calories of ice cream in one sitting, it was, it was a very bad decision. Get a good run the next day? Uh, I probably had to run the next day, it probably wasn't a good run. <laughs> Your favorite store is Staples. Tell us more. Uh, I know. That seems so weird. Um, I'm really into making lists and schedules. Uh, so my husband gets me what's called a passion planner every year. Okay. Okay. Um, and it's just like a really nice planner where you have room to write all your stuff down. Not that I'm overwhelmingly busy. Uh, and everything you have to do. Uh, and I'm just always, I don't know. I love like having a bunch of different colored pens so I can color code it um it's a little weird but yeah I just love that kind of organization you have lived in Michigan since you were four years old you're training (laughs) in Ann Arbor do you ever see yourself leaving Michigan um yes okay okay uh I have said this forever though but I would love to live in Colorado. That is my favorite place. I've been there probably like four or five times. Um, We try to go out in the fall. We have a bunch of friends who live there. Uh, But I absolutely love it with the mountains. I'm pretty outdoorsy. Um, I could see myself spending every weekend out hiking. Uh, You know, the biggest reason we haven't, well, there's probably two reasons we haven't left. Um, One is our families are both here. Although, You know, we could probably leave for a year or two. Um, And the second is, I know that Colorado is an incredible place to run and train, but I have everything right here in Ann Arbor right now. You know, I have the coach, the training partners, all the equipment, facilities, you know, doctors, different things that I work with. And I just, you know, if it's working and I'm seeing that success, I don't want to change it. Um, But, yeah, that would would be where I would want to live one day. You bought your first house this spring uh, mm-hmm. In Ann Arbor with your husband Jordan, how is home development coming along? Uh, you know it's great. We get to do fun things like buy a new roof. <laughs> um, no, but it's it's been really fun having our own house. It's it's kind of weird to just be like, wow, we we own this place. We can do whatever we want with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're really happy that we have it. It just seemed like a like a smart decision at this point in our lives. Um. And we like living in Ann Arbor. We're very close to where both of us work. Um, So it's, yeah, it's been great. Um, Probably the next step would be some kind of pet. So we'll have to work on that. (laughs) With that uh, 5K this this season, you tied your husband's PR, right? Yeah, I did. Actually, well, to be technical, I beat it by like two, if we want to be technical. But it's easy enough to say we both ran 1526. (laughs) Um, I know the goal is Colorado. You'd love to get out there, but pitch Ann Arbor to me. Give me uh, the pros and cons of Ann Arbor and training there. Um, well, Ann Arbor as a city is almost like living in this little bubble. Yeah. Um, um, you know, it's it's a really nice town. There's so much going on downtown where restaurants and uh, different activities. You've got the university there, so it's very young. Um, It's a very well-educated community. They're great schools, so that's all, I guess, the, like, why people would live here Um, in general. For running, there's a couple couple parks that I really like to run in. They are not huge, so there's a lot of loops, but I like running soft, so it works well. Um, We have dirt roads 10 minutes away. I've always been someone who runs dirt roads. 
Uh, we are about to have the best indoor track in the country. I mean, Ooh. that might be slightly biased, but I really don't think so. It's it's pretty incredible. Um, wow. Yeah, it's going to have a 200 hydraulic bank track in the middle and a 300-meter track on the outside. No kidding. Um, we have a ridiculous new weight room and training room, and it's just, so that is really exciting. I remember them talking about that when I was a fifth year, and I'm like, yeah, there's no way I'll still be here. And it's, I made it. You know, it's going to be opening in December, and we're going to have meets on there this winter. Um, wow. Yeah, that's, that'll be huge, because I know winter is a little rough here. I will say that. Um, so sometimes I have to leave for, you know, a couple weeks at a time just to get a break. Mm -hmm. Uh, but come like spring and fall and summer, you know, it's great. It gets hot here, but it's not overwhelming. Um, so it's honestly, yeah, I really like it. And having grown up in Michigan, you'll get used to the winters. They're not great, but you know how to handle them. <laughs> Have the potholes improved in Ann Arbor? I know you uh, you tweeted a long time ago, but this one was dug up. You 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 kind of ripped the potholes in Ann Arbor and uh, said if they weren't the size of the Grand Canyon, uh, maybe you'd be speeding up while you're driving around. Yeah, they're not much better. No, <laughs> plus we have better cars now, so I don't feel like my car is gonna fall apart when I drive over them. <laughs> yeah, you, you mentioned the different seasons, and with my time running in Michigan for years, that it, you, you talk about uh, your love to run in the fall too. That that's your favorite time to run and. Boy, oh boy, Michigan really delivers yeah. right around that time. Yeah, it's it's so nice out. I mean, between, like, the weather and the leaves and the colors and just the fall. And it's cross-country season. I always loved that um, when I was still running that. It's definitely the best time to run. You, uh, you said you lived in Kill Devil Hills, North Carolina for one college summer. Uh, did <laughs> most of your runs on the beach early in the morning. What, what brought you to North Carolina that summer? Um, I have an aunt and uncle who live there, and they had um, just kind of offered their extra room if I wanted to come. And, you know, the town I live in, Tecumseh grew up in, does not really have summer jobs. It's such a small town, and Kill Devil Hills is a very touristy area. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, you know, this is great. I can go and get a summer job um, and work there and live there, and it, it was pretty fun. It definitely was hot, though. That's why I was running very, very early. You met Michael you met Phelps? Michael Phelps. Once, uh, uh, <laughs> the new right around the new year 2016 mm -hmm. i don't think i actually like introduced myself i just hopped <laughs> in the picture with the team and him <laughs> there it is that, that had to be quite a moment there that was it was it was, it was kind of crazy we were just aqua jogging as a team and our coach was like hey michael phelps is over there i'll go get him so you guys can have a picture and we're like what that's insane uh so we didn't realize he trained at the arizona state um, pool for a little bit too. Yeah. Is there another competitor, fifteen hundred mile on the pro scene that, yes, that you compete against her, but you love watching her race? Um, I mean, I definitely love watching my training partners race. Oh yeah. Um, you know, because you see what they put in every day, and you really want them to succeed. Um, you know, I always think it's incredible to watch Jenny Simpson. And especially something like the World Championships where, um, you know, she just had not come in looking quite as hot as a lot of the women, but she just knows how to make it happen that last 100 meters. It's, it's incredible. Um, and she's someone who, the way she runs is definitely something I would, you know, I strive to do as well. You know, to be able to run like her and race like her and have that level of confidence. Um, 
I'm trying to think, you know, anyone else that I, you know, it's always fun, like Heather Camp and the Road Miles. I don't know how she does it. I race her in a lot of them. <laughs> I'll be next to her, and all of a sudden she's 10 yards ahead of me, and I'm like, when did she make that move? She how to run those road miles. Yeah, she knows the roads. Um, your your pumpkin carving skills, this is another obscure tweet from a while ago, but you uh you talked about Halloween and that your your carving your pumpkin carving skills could need some work. Twenty seventeen now, Amanda, are you better at carving pumpkins? I don't even know if I carved last year, which is very sad, so I'm gonna have to practice this year. Um I would like to think they'll be better. That's the goal. Might need to see a, a blog post about it or something. Yeah, maybe it'll at least get a pick, yeah. <laughs> I asked you about Hayward Field and Eugene being the best scene for track and field in America, but you said in America. So I'm wondering, uh, overseas, have you been somewhere where it's just super raucous, it's wild? What's the yeah. what's your favorite track and field scene in the world now? Um, London Stadium, by far. Um, and I know it was 10 times more incredible for the World Championships than even when I was there. But even for their Diamond League, you know, there was – Thousand, like, I don't know, 30, 40, 50,000 people. I'm not sure how many. Um, Usain Bolt was there, which of course brings the crowd. Sure. Um, they love track there and they just get it. And there's so many people, and it's just such a huge stadium that that, yeah, that is the coolest place I've ever raced. Sweet. Is it true that you PR'd in the 200 meters in June? Yes, I did. Um, Congratulations. So- yeah, thanks. It's funny. I never have thought of myself as um, speedy and quick. I've more thought of myself as having good speed endurance um, because, like, I didn't break 60 until my fifth year, uh, which is funny. We did, like, a time trial in practice. And then my 200 PR until June was 27.7, and then my coach had me do, like, 5 by 200 all out, and the first one was 26.2, and I was just in shock. I was like, what? what is that? Where did that even come from? Um, so yeah, so the tools are, it's funny, I've gotten a lot faster as I've gotten older. So I'm hoping like, you know, those tools are still coming together and, you know, I'll be able to take advantage of that speed a little bit more. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll be looking forward to 2018, seeing what outdoor brings and continuing to follow your journey uh, along this professional scene. And, um, Amanda, I just want to thank you. It's over an hour 20 conversation, (laughs) but we really appreciate it. And, Again, be following your your career and just just knowing you were you were once a girl who hadn't broke five minutes in the mile until you were twenty. Uh, you can take a lot of inspiration from your career, not just with running, but with other areas of work and just life. And from your story, Amanda, it's been it's been wild to watch it. Just the again the gains you've made. Uh, just twenty seven, but uh, we're looking forward to more from you. All right, thank you so much. It's been great talking to you. Thanks, Amanda. And hey, we'll be looking forward to that that next post to AmandaEcclestonRuns.com. Yep, coming up soon. <laughs> All right, we appreciate it, Amanda. Thank you. All right, thank you. Thank you for listening to Hooray Run Podcast, Episode 10. Huge thanks to Amanda Eccleston for joining. Really, check out her writing on her website. It's AmandaEcclestonRuns.com. AmandaEcclestonRuns.com. Follow her on social media. Twitter is at Amanda Eck. That's at Amanda E-C-C. Also on Instagram, it's Amanda Eccleston 1500. Instagram is Amanda Eccleston 1500. 
could have another podcast episode up on Sunday. Might do an immediate recap of the Berlin Marathon with my friend Tyler Brinks, a.k.a. T-Dot. Kipchoge, Kipsang, Bekele, what a field. They're going for world record times. If something crazy happens, could see an HR pod up on Sunday. Hooray Run on social media. Instagram is back at it. It's Hooray Run, just one word, on Instagram. Twitter is at Hooray underscore run. There's a Facebook page, HoorayRun.com. The podcast, it's on iTunes. It's on that podcast app on your phone. Purple icon on the iPhone podcast. Search Hooray Run Podcast. Subscribe, tell a friend, recommend. The podcast is on SoundCloud. It's on Stitcher. Would love to get it up on Spotify. We will see. Many thanks to Hopeful Utopian. That's my friend Matthias Mekis. That's the music you heard at the start of the podcast. So happy you're here. Title of the track by Hopeful Utopian. Again, many thanks to Meeks Palmer. That's my friend Mikey. He's Meeks Palmer on SoundCloud. Check out his beats. He provides the intro and outro beats. Double digit episodes now. Episode 10. Amen. Amen.